Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. God is good, isn't he? All the time. (laughs) And all the time, God is good because that is his nature. That's right. Amen. I, I think today as we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're probably in a time where a lot of people are looking up. A lot of people looking for hope, aren't they? I mean, when you read the newspaper or you look at the stuff online or you watch the news on TV, there are things happening all across the globe now that are frightening. In Christ, we always have hope. We have an assurance. We know who's in control. We know who's sovereign. But there are things taking place now that are interesting, to say the least. The hope that we have in Christ Jesus is something that the world is starved for. We've seen the attack on the young Christian college students in Kenya. We grieve with their families. We know that as believers, to be absent from the body is to immediately be present with the Lord. But we look at the satanic attack And we go to the Lord and we begin to pray and fervently ask the Lord, God, what are you doing? What's going on? The 21 Christian men from Egypt who were killed, beheaded in a gruesome display of barbarism. You know know what they were called? They were called people of the cross. That's convicting to me. I don't know about you. But I wonder if people, when they watch my life, would say that I'm somebody, I'm a man of the cross. We see our government today pacifying Iran and Iran's lust for nuclear weapons. In spite of the fact that Iran is continuing to say death to America and that they want to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. Folks, if that doesn't get your attention, wake up. We see the attack on Christians, and there's so many different ways to go about this, but one of the main ways we see this is in the way that marriage is being redefined and the forcing of Christians to adopt beliefs contrary to our own. Wake up! There's a desperate need now more than ever for the hope of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God we have that hope. Praise God we don't have to despair. We don't have to worry. We don't have to fret. We don't have to wring our hands. We don't have to worry about who's in control because we know that the Lamb of God who was raised again from the dead is absolutely sovereign over the events and the affairs of all humanity. That's our hope. That's our assurance. That's our victory. It's not in what we've done. It's not in the works that we could ever accomplish for God or to pay him back for what he's done for us. It's what he has done for us. And it's in the opportunity of praising him every day, moment by moment. Vessels that are willing to follow the Lord and that God through us 
is being revealed. John 11, verses 25 through 26 says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And he asks a pretty profound question here. He says, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Christians all across the globe can say emphatically, yes. And our prayer today is if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as the resurrection of, and the life, if you don't understand that he is absolutely sovereign, that he's in control, that he went to the cross and shed his blood so that each and every one of us, through believing in him, might have life, our prayers today would be the day of salvation for you. Jesus saves. He's able. He's all-powerful. The assurance That there is a God who cares is something that the world is starved for. The assurance that he is aware of what's going on, that he's actively involved in all the affairs of men. That there's a hope out there beyond what we could come up with. is something that as believers we have the opportunity to celebrate because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been looking at Acts chapter 16 and the story of the jailer and he asks... Paul and Silas, this profound question. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? He's asking for uh, information. He wants to know, what is it that you've got that I don't? How can I be rescued from the immediate danger that I find myself in? If you remember this passage, he's trembling and it's not just out of fear because of the earthquake that took place. It's not just because he's worried about the fact that the the people that were in jail had escaped the prisoners. It's because he knows that there is something here that he doesn't have and he's in the very presence of something greater than himself. What must I do to be saved? The answer that Paul gives is profound in its simplicity. It's beautiful in its message. Paul and Silas reply to him in Acts chapter 16. They say, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. I love what Warren Wiersbe says about this. What must I do to be saved is the cry of lost people worldwide. And we had better be able to give them the right answer. Amen? As believers, we better know how to answer that one. We better be able to say, as Paul and Silas did in the midst of that circumstance, when a person's crying out because they recognize there's something they don't have that they need. When they ask, what should I do to be saved? We need to be able to respond out of lives that are yielded and surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to be succinct in how we put it. And we need to point to Christ in the way we do it. And we need to just simply say, believe in the Lord Jesus. Because that's salvation. That's salvation. Paul tells the jailer what to do. Believe. He doesn't give them a laundry list. He doesn't say, well, there's 10 different things that you better do in order to make sure that you believe. Or before you can believe, here's all the stuff you got to do. He says, believe. 
means to have faith in, to put your trust in, to be persuaded by, to believe. Paul tells them who to believe in. He says, the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus. To what end? The jailers asked, what must I do to be saved, to be rescued? The response that Paul and Silas give is for salvation, for forgiveness of sin, for eternal life, to be reconciled to God the Father, not on the basis of works, not on the basis of sincerity, not on the basis of whether or not your good works outweigh the bad works, but rather on the basis of what Jesus Christ did at the cross for each and every one of us. Shed his blood and he gave his life. He was buried. And on the third day, what happened? He arose. <laughs> you know, I think this is interesting because he doesn't add anything to the idea of belief. He, he doesn't uh, say a whole lot of things here that we could throw in here. He doesn't say clean up your life and then believe. He doesn't say stop sinning and then believe. Turn away from sin and then believe. He says believe. And once you believe, he doesn't add a whole laundry list of things that you better do in order to prove that your belief is is true, that it's correct. We gotta be careful about that church, don't we? Somebody comes to Christ and they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and we're very quick to give them 10 things that they better now do. Well, you better go to Hoffmantown Church. I mean, if you don't go there, I don't think your belief was really true. (laughs) You better have devotions at five o'clock in the morning and you gotta pray at least 30 minutes a day. I mean, heaven's sakes, if you don't do that, then there's really not a relationship there. You didn't really believe in the first place. And oh, by the way, that alcohol you were struggling with, you need to set it aside. The womanizing that you did, you better not do that. See, we got all kinds of ways that we impose on people. Listen, when God saves somebody, he comes into them and he will begin to transform them as they respond to him. We can trust the Lord that God is able to do that. Believe. Do you believe this? Jesus saves. Do you believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is able to save? Paul tells him, believe in the Lord Jesus. So the question is, who is he? Three things this morning. It's Easter. I had to have three things. Come on. (laughs) He's the lion. He's the lamb. And he's the Lord He's the lion, he's the lamb, and he's the Lord. Do you realize that in Revelation chapter 5, verse 5, one of the elders, John's having this vision, and one of the elders says to John, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. Do you know that's the only time in the New Testament that the Lord is called the lion? Isn't that interesting? He's the lion. It only has to say it once. What does that stand for? It stands for the fact that he's sovereign. He's he's absolutely in control. He's a king. Do you realize that when we talk about salvation, we talk about what God did for us? He didn't have to do this. He chose to do it. He gave his life as a ransom. He chose to lay down his life. Nobody forced him to do that. 
He did it of his own accord. He's the lion. He's sovereign. He's courageous. He's victorious. There's dignity here. Dignity. I love that picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we recognize that he is the lion? Do we recognize that he's in control? Do we recognize that he's the king and that he's given his life freely for us? Well, he's not only the lion, he's the lamb. We sang about that quite a bit this morning. The lamb. Worthy is the lamb. In Revelation alone, the term the lamb is used of the Lord 28 times. It's used 35 times within the New Testament. In John chapter 1, verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Do you know what that word behold means? It means look up, take note, pay attention. Here's somebody worthy. Here's the Lamb of God. And what does he do? He takes away the sin of the world. Wow. What kind of lamb are we talking about? We're talking about a spotless, unblemished lamb. We're talking about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ who had no sin, who was able to go to the cross and shed his blood, perfect blood, so that when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we might be cleansed of our sin, forgiven of our sin, that our sin might be thrown away. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 19, Peter talks about this, the blood of Christ. He says, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but how? How are we redeemed? With precious blood. As of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. You know what the word redeemed means? It means to be purchased off the slave block of sin. I was destined to be a slave to sin. I had no hope, no way out. That was my lot in life. But the lamb went to the cross to shed his blood. And because of that... I have the opportunity to be forgiven, to be redeemed, to be purchased, not with silver or gold, but with the precious, spotless blood of the Lamb of God. I want you to listen to this closely. Roy Hessian's got a beautiful book called We Would See Jesus. Some of you have heard of it. If you've never read it, I would encourage you to read it. He's speaking about Christ on the cross. And he's talking about the sacrifice that the Lord made on our behalf. Listen to what he says here. In him, in Christ, we see not only God, but his glory displayed. Let me ask you something. You know what glory means? We usually think of the Shekinah glory of God, right? We, we think of the bright light. We think of the transfiguration, and, and all of a sudden up on the Mount of Transfiguration, the Lord is glorified. Elijah and Moses are right next to him on either side, and, and Peter's there. <laughs> and Peter's in awe. Wow, look at this. Hey, we'll make some tents for you guys, and, and it's good for us to stay up here. The Lord's like, no, no. We tend to think of the glory of God as something uh, magnificent, and that's true. There's certainly an aspect there uh, that's true. 
He is magnificent. But here we're talking about the cross. He says, this gives us a new understanding of that which makes God glorious, and it comes as both a surprise and a shock. For the face that reveals the glory of God, this is Christ on the cross, is a marred face, spat upon and disfigured by the malice, the hatred of men. The prophetic word of Isaiah concerning him in Isaiah 52, 14 can really be translated. His visage was marred so that it was no longer that of a man. So great was his disfigurement. In order for there to be a resurrection, there has to be a death. And when the Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross, he was so disfigured, he was so marred, he had been so abused, he had been so beaten, that literally Isaiah prophesied, you couldn't even recognize that he was a man. Indescribable. But you say, that's not a vision of glory, but of shame and disgrace. However, it's glory as God counts glory for the glory of God consists in something other than what we suppose in Jesus we see that God's glory consists not so much in his ability to exalt himself and humble man but in his willingness to humble himself for the sake of man not so much in a mighty display of power that would break in pieces those that oppose him but rather in the hiding of that power and the showing of grace to the undeserving when they turn to him in repentance. Wow. Jesus said, my hour has come to be glorified. What hour was he talking about? He was talking about on the cross when we got to see the true identity, the true heart of God himself in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ who was beaten to the point that you couldn't even tell that he was a man anymore. Why? So that we could have life. We could be saved. God humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that we might have life. Is it any wonder that he's deserving of our worship? In Revelation 5, 11 and following, we have this picture of the lamb being worshipped. John writes, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing." In every created thing which is in heaven on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. Is it any wonder that he's worthy of our worship? Because he's the Lamb. He went to the cross to shed his blood. The jailer says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas respond, believe in the Lord Jesus. Who is he? He's the lion, but he's also the lamb. He gave his life so that we might have life. And not just any kind of life, but life everlasting. That we might have a hope and assurance of the things to come. That we wouldn't have to fear being separated from God for an eternity. But rather, we would know him for an eternity. The lamb who was slain for us. Lastly, he's the Lord. (laughs) 
Do you realize this phrase, this term, is used of Jesus or of God over 600 times in the New Testament alone? The Lord. The Lord. Why do we celebrate the fact that he's the Lord? When Paul and Silas said to this jailer, believe on the Lord Jesus, what was he saying to them? He was saying that Jesus is the Lord and he has the right and he has the authority to save because of who he is. He has the right to rescue and to snatch you from the immediate danger that you're in. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. The right payment for our sin is death. But the free gift of God, that which is not earned, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, who? Our Lord. Because he has the authority to save. 2 Corinthians 8.9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The favor, the goodness, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Or in 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 4, where he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Wow. Has caused us to be born again. Why do we recognize him as Lord? Because that's who he is. We don't make Jesus Christ Lord. We confess, we agree that he is Lord. He's Lord whether we would agree with that or not. That's who he is. Philippians speaks to the fact of his humility. And when you think about the Lord Jesus Christ, the sovereign king of kings, laying down his life for each and every one of us, This passage is amazing. He says, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The cross was a wicked, cruel death. And he humbled himself to that. Verse 9, he says, for this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess, will agree that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is Lord. Do we recognize that? Do we believe in the Lord Jesus? Do we believe that he has the right and the ability because of who he is to save Do we believe that he's the lion, dignified, that he's sovereign, that he gave his life freely? No man took it from him, he gave it. Do we believe that he's the lamb who shed his blood so that we might be forgiven of our sin? Do we believe that he's the Lord, that he is given the right to become his children, 
even to those who believe in his name, which is what John chapter 1, verse 12 says. As many as received into them, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? I know you know John 3.16. You've perhaps heard this verse before. It's one of the greatest verses in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, his one-of-a-kind, unique son. Only begotten is a fancy way of saying he's the only one like him. Nobody else before, nobody to follow will ever be like Jesus Christ. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have what? Eternal life. Do you believe? Have you believed? Do you trust the Lord? Have you placed your faith in him? Have you been given the right by the Lord to become his child? Not because of works, not because of anything that you've got to do in order to clean your life up, in order to come to him, not because of anything you've got to do after you believe in him in order to prove that your belief was real in the first place, but rather because of who he is. He's the lion. He's the lamb. He's the Lord. On this day, as we celebrate the resurrection, we also remember his death. We remember his sacrifice. And we come before him, and we're in awe of him. What are you going through in your life? You just just need to be reminded that Jesus is sovereign, that he's in control, that he is the Lord. Are there circumstances that you're walking through even today that you're not sure exactly how to handle it? And maybe today you needed to be reminded that Jesus Christ defeated death and is victorious once for all. And as believers, we can walk in his victory. Are you here this morning? And it's Easter morning, and you know the story, but you don't have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.